out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy, but you're still the Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films that you will never discuss in taking a film studies course. And we are back to, man, we're back to the basics. To our guys. regularly scheduled programming. We, we're back to doing what we do. We're going to be looking at a Sam Jackson, Kevin Spacey joint film called The Negotiator. And so I'm very, very excited to be talking about that with my illustrious. Justin, uh, what is The Negotiator about? The Negotiator is about. Um, what Donald Trump thinks of himself. Uh, movie. It's a, oh, it's a it's a biopic. It's a biopic. Okay. Yeah. About tiny hands. I'm gonna make the best deal. Okay, I'm moving on. This, um, is, this is a huge movie. It's it is, the best movie. It's the best movie. It's, it's got great stuff. And tiny hands. <laughs> very, 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 very wee childlike hands. Um, nonetheless. Yeah, my f- yeah. When when uh, when Sam Jackson makes the demand to have a wall built. Around the IA office, that was my favorite part of the movie. That was your favorite yeah. part. Yeah. My favorite part was when he said, "I don't want anybody in this uh, building that was born in Chicago." Yeah, nobody that was born in Chicago <laughs> can come into this building. And he called for immediate deportations of all the Chicago of all people. the people who were in <laughs> from Chicago who were in the building when he got there. I really, really <laughs> love the part where the building caught on fire and he said it wasn't getting hotter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, those are some alternative interesting effects. alternative effects. Yeah. yeah. Welcome to 2017. <laughs> the rules are made up and the points don't matter. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's a new game. And none of these things happen in the movie. Let's introduce my illustrious co-host, though. Um, to my right, sir, who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and you were wrong about me. What if I'm right about them? Very, very, very good. Very good. Thank you very much for that, sir. To my left, ma'am, who are you? My name is Alexandra Bohannon, and I want you to apologize for telling your mother she looks <laughs> that was such a great moment uh, And lastly, but definitely not least, sir, who are you? My name is Dalton Stewart And Dustin, you ever dress up like a schoolgirl and get your ass banged? All the time Okay, well, just don't tell me no You never tell the taker no <laughs> I, I, I never tell you no, Dalton I know you don't Hence the ass banking <laughs> and, and, yeah, and all that yeah, yeah. And my outfit yeah. Yes um, means you, yes You were looking very, very lovely this evening. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. I shaved my legs and everything for you. I know, I see that. Thank you. I really. Strawberry you didn't have to. You know what? You, you didn't have to. <laughs> but I appreciate it. <laughs> You're welcome, brother. Um, my name is Dustin Sells, and you see that going down there? That's the podcast going crazy, and uh, that's what we're doing right here, right now. That's sort of a riff line of the movie The Negotiator. Uh, we are very excited to be taking a look at this, but we need to warn you, dear listener, in case it's the first time you've tuned in to the Good Trash Genre Cast, brought to you by the great people at the Good Trash Media Network, and uh, you may not know what to expect. Um, I will say this. You might want to expect spoilers, but... But, 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 we will avoid some of them. And I think this is a film that is probably spoiler Yeah, typically we're, we're talking about films that even if they do have uh, spoilerific spoilerage, um, they're old and, like, well-known. This film is older. It's almost 20 years old now, but it's it's not super well-known. Well known. Yeah. But rest easy because it was spoiled completely in the uh, original uh, marketing campaign. No kidding. By what? a line that got cut from the movie. No shit. Yep. Oh, that's dumb. Oh, that is dumb. Like, well, in the trailer? Yeah. Oh my I god! Hate that. I hate that so much. I hate everything. Here's a great thing. I was watching uh, Sinister the other night uh, mm-hmm. for like the third or fourth time. 
Um, oh, I on, love it when he turns into a sled at the end. Me too. Um, on a, so the the marketing campaign for that movie spoiled that there is um, something less than or more than natural afoot. Um, on Amazon or not Amazon on Netflix, it doesn't. It yeah. does not tell you that at all, which is really cool. Nice. I think because I think that's a fun moment if you don't see it coming. If you don't know it's coming, rather. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway. So, back to the warning. The warning works like this. We will give a synopsis from the voice of the cinema. I'm very excited to hear these words, because Mr. Arthur Gordon is, it's been a minute since you have graced us with your tones. And then we will have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which again, will avoid spoilers. We'll get into our gameplay, which will involve mild spoilers, perhaps of the film in question, and perhaps of other films, but we tend to try to avoid egregiousness when we do this. And then, thusly, we move forward into analysis. We get down to business. There will be a business time cue for you all uh, to know that that is what's happening at that point. And then, spoilers, ahoy, ye mateys. Um, shiver me timbers and watch out for the spoiler monster. It will, um, it, it's a kraken. Yarg. Yarg. So, there you go. You have been warned. No further ado is necessary. Mr. Arthur Gordon, can we hear that synopsis? The, from the voice of the cinema. Yes. For the first time in so, so long. In a desperate attempt to prove his innocence... A skilled police negotiator accused of corruption and murder takes hostages in a government office to gain the time he needs to find the truth. It's a wrong man movie. It is a wrong man movie. I, 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 I didn't do it. <laughs> it Fucking wasn't, it wasn't me. <laughs> bull, bullseye J Stew. Bullseye. Uh, very, very good. So I want to know what you guys thought about this movie. Was it a big bucket o fun or a big bucket o poo? I ask you first, Miss Alexander Bohannon, what say you? It was a big old bucket of fine. I, I mean, there's a reason why this movie kind of got lost in the 90s and no one's ever heard of it. I mean... I, I Excuse you, madam. I heard about it on TNT. <laughs> oh, which is why it was beans on TNT. And cornbread, bo- but no, yeah, bo- yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> basically, this movie was built for TNT. Built for basic cable. Ba- absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that is where it lives. And now that cable isn't really what it is anymore, this movie is unknown and dead. And I don't give a shit. Like I give no shits about this movie. I feel like I've seen. Hundreds of other movies do this, all these same tropes, and I'm like, okay, I call that, and I call that, and I call that, and I call that. And I know that there is some of that. It kind of goes back to chicken and egg. You know, we have that discussion on our alien show forever ago. You know, aliens maybe feels a little rote, but it wrote the tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie, it had a lot more you know history behind it in terms of like riffing on stuff so uh, i feel like i don't know if you've seen the departed you don't need to see any of these cop movies i that's kind of my opinion really all right well thank you very much for that Ms. alexander bohan and mr dalton stewart um bucket of fun or bucket of poo it's a bucket of fun yeah it's got sam jackson throwing flashbang grenades at people yeah, it's fucking cool we, shit. We, we knew you would love this movie. I didn't. I wanted, let's hold on. I don't love it. <laughs> let's 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 be realistic. It's over two hours. This movie is too long. It's I, two hours and twenty minutes. I paused it when Sam Jackson was in the building with the hostages, and mm-hmm. I'm like, it How, takes, "How's it going here?" It takes way too. It's long another to get there. hour. Oh my god, he already has the hostages, and we know where this is going. Why aren't we getting there faster? The weird thing is, I don't know what you could cut because I think that opening scene showing him in action uh, on a normal day is really cool, and yeah, I think I it's necessary. 
and but all of the intrigue leading up to that, there's a lot that you still need. Uh, there's de- the meeting with the lawyer could definitely go like yeah. that. That can fucking go. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's there's definitely a lot this movie could have lost, and it would have been better for it. It is far too long. That said, it is a ton of fun. Uh, David Morse is great as a sneering douchebag. Um, yes, Sam Jackson is. is at his most Jackson and actually gets to sh- uh, stretch his legs a little bit acting wise in ways that he doesn't a lot these days. It's not anywhere close to his best performance by a long shot. Honestly, some of the moments where he is stretching his legs feel a little wooden and stilted, but um, overall... He has wooden legs. <laughs> that's funny. Um, he, he's, he's, he's fun. He's having a good time, and I think the scenes where he is playing emotionally uh, work fairly well. Um, Kevin Spacey's doing Kevin Spacey stuff. I mean, it's fucking textbook Spacey. Uh, yes. But it's, it's yeah, it's classic Spacey. Um, and then you get to see Leo from the West Wing say a bunch of fuck words, which is pretty cool. Uh, Giamatti's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the assistant who has, I think, played an assistant in literally dozens of movies. Um, I always forget the actress's name. Bring me sugar. <laughs> yeah, she in water. Yeah, she played yeah. Uh, Vincent D'Onofrio's wife in uh, uh, Men in Black. She, she has a, a very she one. She's got an Irish name. Uh, she's great. Uh, she's great. There's a lot of great character actors in this movie, not the least of which, obviously, I mentioned David Morse. Um, really, really fun cast full of oh hey that guy, um, which I always appreciate. Um, yeah, it's as Alex mentioned though, it is pretty predictable. I mean, the red herrings in this movie are so blatant that Are they really red herrings? Yeah, well, here's the thing, without getting too spoilery, uh David Morris's character is um I don't think this is that spoilery. He's set up so clearly to be the bad guy that you know he's not the bad guy. You you know he's not because it's so obvious. Like yeah. it's such a red herring that it ceases to be a red herring. Well, right. that and the obvious thing, right? You've cast JT Walsh in anything. Yeah. And uh, speaking of character actors, J.T. Walsh is really good in this, and this was one of uh, three films released after he passed away in 1997. Yeah. Um, that was a real bummer um, to learn, because I had totally, I didn't realize that. I knew he had passed away, but I didn't realize like he had passed away before uh, this film. Uh, and there's a moment in this film that makes that even more of a bummer. Um, yeah. But um, again, a lot of fun. I, I dug it. I definitely would not watch it again for the, another 10 years, because uh, I was probably like, <laughs> 19 the last time I watched it so right around seven years so that's good timing on every like you know close to a decade you check in with the negotiator and see how it's aged Uh, I will say it was one of F. Gary Gray's like first big Hollywood movies which I think in terms of how his career has uh, changed and gone on I think that makes it a little bit more interesting Um, but overall yeah it's fun okay all right thank you very much for that Mr. Dalton Stewart Dr. Arthur Gordon you can't say Dr. that. You can't reverend. just call him a doctor. He's not a, he's not a reverend either. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what did you think of the negotiator? Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> you actually can just tack Esquire on yeah, your name. You don't I, have I to know. be a lawyer. So, Good to uh, know. Yeah, Mr. Do- uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon Esquire. I, fun fact for Black History Month, is that uh, up until this point, this was the largest budget for a film attributed to a black director. Really? High five! Wow. For $50 million. Which is a lot of money in 1997. Yep. I, saw, I saw that and was like, this whole I assume shit. most of it went to Jackson hey, Spacey. Hey, that checks out. Hey guys, remember when they used to make movies for $50 million? I was about to say, <laughs> holy shit, this movie was made for what $50 million. Like Adjusting now? for inflation, though. Adjusting Which for inflation. Still it's something. still like a $70, $80 million movie. It's still not that it's still a, That's Yeah, it's wow. still a pretty big movie. Uh, it's like indie you, budget You got to remember, $100 million budgets did not get super common until like 03. Yeah, after the superhero things. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway, uh, F. Gary Gray, with the help of his editor, uh, Christian Wagner, who has worked on the uh, last several Fast films and is presently working on Fast 8 and Kong Skull Island, uh, construct an increasingly tightening yet convoluted thriller. Uh, Jackson and Spacey, I think they're just a lot of fun. Uh, the talented actor uh, character actors that show up, as Dalton mentioned, are all, all uh, putting in great turns, doing what they do uh, in everything they do, but they do it well. Um, I think Jackson walks a fine line as he uh, often seems to be descending into paranoia and madness at times uh, while trying to maintain his cool and calm demeanor. I think he does well with that. Uh, I I don't really have a problem with the uh, the pacing. I thought it moved at a good clip um, for the most part. I think it does move at a kind of a nice clip. Uh, however, I'm not sure it does lend itself much rewatches, uh, but it tickles my wheelhouse, and so I'll give it a pass for that. Excellent, excellent. Um, I am going to say uh, some more things to you, Mr. Gordon, um, insofar as I like this movie a lot. I think it's a lot of fun. I haven't watched it since it was uh, initially ran on cable, so I saw it probably the year after it was released. And you saw an edited for TV version. No, no, no. I saw it on HBO. Oh, okay. okay. Well, and I'll, I'll say this, Dustin. Um, I think it is fun to have... N- spent so long between rewatches because I had convinced myself David Morse was the bad guy in my memory of this film. Ah, uh, yeah. And then like about 15 minutes in, I was like, no, it's not him. There's right. no way. Uh, I had also, for some reason, I think I mentioned this on the show last week, I had misremembered who's who. I had remembered Spacey as the wrongly accused man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah, not, so. yeah. Uh, I remembered it was Jackson, and I, I didn't remember exactly how the conclusion concludes, uh, mm-hmm. But I, I did I did know there was a lot of the film Shane uh, being invoked in all that. And th- that movie's important to me personally. Um, my cousin, um, I only have one male cousin, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, first cousin, and uh, he's named Shane after that movie. Oh, wow. As you are Dalton after Dalton and Roadhouse. It's so it has the same sort of endearing effect uh, for me. But nonetheless, uh, I like this movie a lot. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I, don't, I don't think, again, there's a pacing problem. It is long. Um, insofar as like scheduling your time to watch it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really bore you. Uh, I don't feel like it at any given point because it's even when it's like those lawyer scenes, they're not long. I think that's I think that's fair. Um, I just I feel like it makes the movie. It, it's not that any of those ones, any one of those scenes is. That's why I said I don't know what you would lose because none of them in and of themselves are boring. I think it's a cumulative effect. Right. Yeah. Well, I just wonder. I mean, I love this. You know, great. 90s reunion of every guy who played a cop in Law and Order mm-hmm. ever. I, I think that was awesome. Like, and anyone, any cop that ever played a cop on TV, it's great stuff. But at the same time, I wonder if like we could have reduced some of that volume of cops, maybe condensed a couple of characters, and maybe that could have like streamlined some things. For sure, I, I would agree with that. Some stuff, yeah, uh, perhaps. Um, it's a diehard model film. You know, it really is. Every 10 minutes, mm-hmm. something happens. And uh, keep, keeps me going. And so for and again, the performances are great. The music choices are interesting and strange at points. Um, uh, again, the sort of uh, use of Irish stuff here and there, mm-hmm. and then weirdly um, the sort of hip hop opening, uh, which I really liked. It felt like um, the Club to Death song on the Matrix is what it felt like a lot um, as it began. That's you a know, good track. Yeah, it's a good track. And so it felt very much like that. And I again, I like the choices the director makes. I like all the acting choices that are made. And uh, it is you know in some senses predictable perhaps, but it's 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 fun. It's very watchable. It, it's a very watchable movie. So I liked it a bunch. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know our biases. They are generally pro, and uh, we like this film. But we need to do something right now because, guys, it's time for the game. It's time to play the game. Time to play the game. That's right, dear listener. This week's game are our favorite wrong man films. Uh, that's right, favorite wrong man films brought to you by The Negotiator. The Negotiator. You fucked with the wrong negotiator. 
I just knew you were going to say, the negotiator. You elected the wrong man. Oh. Mm. Well, I, we didn't. The Electoral College yeah. did. But that's not, that's neither here nor there. You <laughs> and this show's going to be political for the next four years. Forever. Well, yeah, or indefinitely until the death squads kick down the door. Right. Um, Nazi punks. Anyway, um... I have nothing else to say at this point about that, but I would love to hear your selections for gameplay. Mr. Arthur Gordon, uh, what are your selections for favorite wrong man? Oh, first and foremost, I'm going to throw a bone to Caleb since he isn't with us tonight, uh, but I've got to throw it out there, and that's Detective John Anderton from The Minority Report, played yep. by Tom uh, Cruise. almost said Tom Hanks, which would have been a very different, different fun, mm-hmm. fun movie to watch. Movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perhaps better. <laughs> I like Minority. I haven't seen it in a while. I know time, Caleb's though. really big on that movie, so he'll take Dustin to task for that later, I'm sure, once he hears this. Uh, but uh, I am going to say one that I really liked uh, growing up. I still like the movie. I'm going to name Ray and Claude, as played by Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence from Life. Which is just it's a fun one. Uh, you know, nobody touches my cornbread, and uh, <laughs> I, I do like that movie. And I, I like movies that span time, mm-hmm. if it's done well. Uh, and I think life does it well, and it's fun to watch them uh, just be goofy for two hours. I'm also going to mention uh, Ben Richards, uh, as played by Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Running Man. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Which is a good time. It's a fun movie. Uh, but there's really only one wrong man that matters. Uh, is the end of the conversation, <laughs> and that's Dr. Richard Kimball. My man! As played by Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. Yeah. Uh, it's a movie near and dear to my heart that I love quite a bit. You, and mean, you mean he didn't kill his wife? I don't care. <laughs> it was the one-armed man. Oh, man. It's a good time. It's a good time to be had by all. Uh, so those are my picks, Dustin, for my favorite wrong men. Awesome. Well, I like that very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Dr. Reverend Dalton Stewart, uh, what say you? I am neither of those things. Uh, the Fugitive is also a huge, huge pick for me. Um, I want you to search every in-house, outhouse, doghouse, and whorehouse. Um, I also want to give some love to the sequel, U.S. Marshals, though, uh, like which features um, uh, RDJ, uh, Run de- Jr., um, <laughs> As the uh, one of his the supporting marshals, uh, one of those rare instances where he doesn't play himself. Exactly, and it's got Wesley Snipes, who I love, um, as the wronged man. He's so fucking good, and he's really fun in this movie. He doesn't get to do any kung fu, which is unfortunate. Um, and I feel like all Wesley Snipes movies would be better with more of him doing kung fu. Uh, to Wong Fu, him doing kicks in a dress, be cool. Uh, white men can't jump. Him throwing like a fucking palm strike on the court into it uh but i i have a soft that's spot a foul yeah that is a foul i have a soft spot for, <laughs> for u.s marshals Only though get caught that's true um it doesn't get as much love as the fugitive for obvious reasons it is not as good but uh, i like it I, it's it's something that I, much like this movie was on a uh, basic cable a lot when i was growing up um so I, I definitely wanted to give it a shout out uh i also did want to give a shout out to minority report it's been a long time since i've seen it and i've actually been wanting to rewatch it for quite a while now um, and um, finally, a, a film that's very similar to this um, in a lot of ways, um, both in terms of quality and wrong manedness. But uh, it's the film Nonstop uh, with Liam Neeson, um, where he's an air marshal. Uh, it is. Uh, I, I like uh, cops being the wrong man. I always think that's interesting. Um, but uh, it's it's it is exactly as good as this movie, if that makes sense. Um, and there's also a part where he catches a gun out of midair as the, the, the plane is falling, so the gravity's gone out, which is pretty cool. Mm. Excellent. Well, I like those selections very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Bishop Alexander Bohannon. I'll take it. <laughs> um, 
So I'm going to pick a couple of franchises we're probably not going to talk about very much in Wrong Man Town. And these are two Batmen. Um, Batman and Batman Returns. Batsmen? The Bats. Is it Bats? Is it Batsmen? Batsmen. Like Attorney's General? Attorney's General. Batsmen. Yeah. Uh, Batman and Batman Returns because he gets falsely accused of pushing someone off a building. I'm trying to remember about that. I think he actually does definitely push somebody <laughs> off a building in that one. He, oh. he murders no, a lot of people. It's, it's the Christmas lighting ceremony. He tries to catch gotcha, that's the lady right. as she falls off the yeah. building. Oh, okay. See, I was right. You were right. Yay. Um, and then, of course, Batman in The Dark Knight. We get um, Harvey Dent throw, throwing shade and falsely accusing the Batman of being the bad guy. Which is really interesting because that movie ends in an inverted wrong man where he chooses to be the wrong man. Mm, mm-hmm. Yes, and then last but not least, my favorite um, can't talk about wrong wrongful accusers without talking about one of my favorite books of all time, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. There you go. And that there is, you go. I mean, it's like the ultimate wrong man film. There and it is. and due to our um, our inexperienced narrator, we don't get all of the like sniffing that this is gonna end up being a wrong man yep. story until it's like oh shit things got really real in that last you know f- few chapters in the shrieking shack so um yeah that one that one's gonna be top of the book for me because i don't really have a substantial action film background so it's a good pick I like it a lot. Thank you very much for that, uh, Ms. Alexandra Bohannon. Uh, my selection, I'm just simply going to name one name. Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. Watch, watch all the movies. Um, He's got a lot of wrong man steps. movies. I mean, there is the, the wrong movie, man. The wrong man. Um, North by Northwest. Uh, 39 Steps is probably the one I'd pick first. Um, uh, and then North by Northwest, as yep. you say. Yeah, I mean, but I think I like 39 Steps. Uh, Robert Donna is just great. And uh, it's it's fun. It's hilarious. It's got trains. It's got, you know. It's got trains. You know, it's just, what else do you need? Yeah. It's, it's got all the Hitchcocky things. And it's also really, really kind of hilarious. And mm-hmm. so, um, and, and very sort of strangely, you know, symbolic at places. And so, um, again, the, the fish choices um, mean things, and that's strange to encounter. Um, so it's a movie I like very, very much. Dear listener, we'd like to hear what you have to say about your favorite wrong men, and perhaps women. I don't think we selected any wrong women. I don't uh, think there are many. Double Jeopardy that's is the only one, one. Uh, one that comes to oh, mind. That's a good one. Halle Berry and Gothica? Oh, yeah, that came up Gothica, on the list. Yeah. But I don't, I don't remember the plot of that movie I that well. Seen it, Me either. So. I never saw it. I did see it. I've has, seen uh, it bits and pieces. It has RJD Jr. in it as well. It has John Carroll Lynch. Ooh, I like me some John Carroll Lynch. Is that Billy Bob Thornton? No, that's Monsters Ball. That's Monsters Ball. Oh, it's yeah. different. Uh, Bruce Willis is in Gothica? No. Okay. Is Kevin Spacey in Gothica? No. If we throw enough white guys at this bucket, we'll, 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 we'll hit it. Yeah. Hey, was Abraham Lincoln in Gothica? Yes. <laughs> no. Yes. Oh, I think he was that in was the Lincoln, It was the sequel no. to Vampire Hunter. He was alive while uh, things were... Gothic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, well, there you go, dear listener. Um, we'd like to hear those things, but you can only um, get back to us to tell us those things via the magical means that we all know as social media. So, uh, Miss Alexander Bohannon, can you tell uh, the dear listener a few things about how to have the conversation with the rest of us? Sure thing, Dustin. You can find us and the Good Trash Media Network at goodtrashmedia.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash goodtrashmedia. You can find us on Instagram at goodtrashmedia. And you can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash GTM. Outstanding. There yet remains one means of social media by which one might have a conversation. Dalton Stewart. 
Hello, Dustin. You can find the Good Trash Media Network on Twitter at good underscore trash, where we can tweet whatever we want, and no one will stop us ever. Um, until they Until do. they stop the internet. Um, yes, until they do. But for now, no one can stop us from tweeting out facts about uh, carbon emissions. Um, man, I, if you do not like this right now, listener, it's a good time to get out. Um, it's Basically, not, yeah, go, it's not going to stop. going to stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Uh, once again, that is uh, twitter.com. Underscore, uh, Jesus Christ, words are hard. At good underscore trash. That's how you do it. <laughs> well done, well done. Well, guys, I think it's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. So, without any further ado, uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, what analysis do you bring? F. Gary Gray's The Negotiator has a few misfires, but ultimately the packaging keeps everything together. Uh, adding a bit to my critique of the film, the story is convoluted and tired, and Alex mentioned that it is definitely nothing new. And the characters, for the most part, are poorly drawn. And most of this comes from the script, which is just something akin to a two-hour uh, episode of Law & Order or Bones. Uh, however, Spacey and Jackson have the gravitas and the screen presence and charisma to definitely pull it off and make it more exciting than it actually is. Uh, yet the true magic of the film lies in Gray's direction and his development of this procedural featuring two men talking for an hour and 40 minutes into an edge-of-your-seat, white-knuckle thriller. And this is done by injecting many elements of the action genre into the DNA of the, of the procedural through the camera work, editing, and design of the film, Gray is able to elevate this film into a thrill ride that, until the end, never really slows down. Gray's work with DP Russell Carpenter from Titanic, True Lies, and Ant-Man, and his aforementioned editor Christian Wagner, both of whom have history working in the action genre uh, with some taut action directors, transpose many of the formal formalist action tropes onto the negotiator to develop a narrative that is designed to quickly draw audiences in. Now, this is nothing new. In fact, it owes a great deal of debt to John McTiernan's Die Hard, as has been brought up earlier, uh, which in some ways does lend itself to more action beats, but ultimately is a pretty standard affair, narratively speaking. Uh, McTiernan utilizes key formalist tricks and plot beats to keep Die Hard engaging, and in doing so, uh, sets a tone for the movies to follow. Gray's film, much like McTiernan's, uh, is very focused and settled. Uh, this is a stark contrast to something like 1997's Metro, starring Eddie Murphy as a hostage negotiator, a film which did turn uh, into a more standard fare action comedy with car chases and the such. Uh, Gray and Carpenter make sharp use of camera movements with plenty of medium shots to keep us in the midst of the conversations that are occurring. Uh, they are designed to keep us within arm's reach of the characters and to make us feel as though we are in the same room as these characters. Uh, this is in contrast to wide shots, which would distance us from the action. Uh, Gray and Wagner also utilize a uh, frenetic, quick ASL or average shot length to keep the film moving when it needs it most. Uh, there are a lot of quick cuts between the characters whom Jackson is holding hostage. Uh, this slows a bit when we cut to Spacey and the Force. Uh, the scenes utilize more static, medium shots uh, in those moments uh, that allow for a bit of depth of field so we can stay attuned to a few characters in the background. And this is where they're setting up a lot of those red herrings but, uh, with Beck, and that's what we were alluding to earlier uh, with those red herrings. Uh, 
But we're really setting up Beck and the captain as the bad guys uh, through their urgency and the kind of constant looks they show uh, they share with one another. Uh, Gray and his design team also construct images using lighting techniques often seen in action films. There are a number of the blue lit night sequences as an action trope we've called out several times on this show. Uh, but it helps give the film the aesthetic look of the action film. Uh, and there's also a bit of grit to it. Nothing is really polished or clean. Uh, even in the daytime sequences, most of the settings are a little worn and they're not new. Uh, now, all these techniques and tools combined under Gray's direction and coupled with the charisma and presence of Spacey and Jackson uh, makes The Negotiator a fun, gripping ride that hits so fast you don't have time to fully grasp all of the holes in the plot, though they are numerous. Uh, it is an extremely well-directed and taut thriller that shows how the tropes and conventions of one cinematic approach can be transposed to elevate another. So the packaging is so shiny you don't notice the bad stitching. Yes. The, as well. Yeah, I think yep. you're absolutely right. I think that's a brilliant observation, uh, Dr. Reverend Arthur Gordon. I appreciate Esquire. it. Esquire. Esquire. Um, so thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what have you to say about this film? Well, Dustin, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, how uh, bureaucracy is an inherently flawed thing, um, and we can't stop doing it, because on paper it seems like the best way to do things, because structure is nice, um, it's good, it lends, uh, it allows you to uh, run things a little bit more smoothly, right? But it is an inherently flawed, because people get promoted beyond their point of competency, and people end up in positions of power they should not be allowed into. What? Yeah, it happens in a bureaucracy. Have you ever worked in one? It's fucking terrible. I've never heard of this. Unqualified uh, people in a bureaucracy. Yeah, it happens. And again, okay. we're not just talking about government bureaucracy. The, the same structure exists within private businesses. Sure. Um, there's this weird misconception that, um, you know, well, if you're in the private sector, at least people who are bad at their jobs will get fired. That doesn't really happen. I mean, yes, it can a little bit more easily than, you know, in the public sector. You know, there's less red tape to firing somebody. But it turns out... Uh, people become friends with the people they work with, and sometimes it's hard to let people go even when you uh, know that they're not good at their job. And we've got a little bit of that in this movie. Um, it, it is hard to see through the, the rose-colored glasses of friendship sometimes, through uh, your, your conceived notions about your relationship with a person to see through to the betrayal. And what I find really interesting about this movie is uh, just the the way that the bureaucracy functions to pin this entire fiasco on Sam Jackson. And uh, really, bureaucracy as it functions within the criminal justice system, because as it turns out, it is really, really easy for homicide investigators to pin something on the person that they like for it. And that is how you talk about a homicide investigation. Again, I've never done one, but I read and watch a lot about them, and I'm not just talking about all the cop movies I watch, I'm talking a lot about the true crime stuff that I'm into. Um, you like someone for something, not the evidence points towards them. Well, we like him for this. And again, that could just be an issue of semantics. They like him for it because the evidence points towards them. Also intuition, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, but there's also a big chunk of we like this person for it because they had means opportunity and motive not because the the actual physical evidence that exists points towards them and as we see in this film it's really easy to manufacture uh, fairly circumstantial but fairly compelling physical evidence against someone uh, and what Sam Jackson seems to be raging against in this film is how quickly the tables can turn on you when the wheels of bureaucracy, instead of letting you be a cog in the machine, decide to crush you underneath them. Uh, and I, I really enjoy that. The the scene where he's standing outside the window and saying, you see this shit? They're going to fucking kill me. 
They're going to kill me because they know I'm too close. Because that's the thing about bureaucracies. They are the, the world's most perfect perpetual motion machine. They cannot be stopped. And in fact, they cannot reach change because they resist change to their very core. Um, and it, it's a very frustrating thing. And here's the kicker. We don't have a better way to run large institutions. That's the real like nightmare of it. Yeah, we can bitch about how terrible they are all the live long day till we're blue in the face. And I can and I will and I have. But the problem is we don't have a better way of running things. And that's the real nightmare that I, I think is so terrifying. And I, I movies like this stress me the hell out for that reason. Because it is so easy. Wrong place, wrong time, you're done. You are going to uh, turn a phrase from the um, from office space, you're going to federal pound me in the ass prison. You're fucked, man. Like, there's no way out of it. doesn't matter how good your lawyer is. Best case scenario, you plead down. That's the best case scenario. You plead down to something you didn't even fucking do. And again, we're focusing on the criminal justice move system because this is a movie about cops. But, I mean, that's kind of how bureaucracy works in a nutshell, is you are forced to inadequately perform a service or perform a job or perform a function in a system that is inherently designed to not allow you to do it that well. Because by its very nature, it will always run inefficiently. And it's it's a bizarre and terrifying thing. Um, and again, we're not attributing any intent to this film uh, other than to say these are nuggets within the film that I find interesting when you view them through this lens. When you view Sam Jackson's trial through the idea that he is caught within an inescapable inescapable bureaucracy. Um, there's a moment when he's with the internal affairs guys where he's trying to talk reason into them. That reminds me a lot of a scene in Brazil um, where, um, oh my God, I can't think of the actor's name or the character's name. The, the, the main character in that film is desperately trying to get paperwork done, which is you know a very famous scene that's referenced in cinema often. Um, and this film, obviously on its face, doesn't share anything with that film. But there, that scene just reminds me of like shouting logic at, at a system that cares does not care for it. Um, and, and I just find that very interesting in this film is it doesn't matter if you're right sometimes. It just doesn't. It matters whether or not the system thinks you can prove that you're right. And that's the real kicker. Absolutely. Wow. Well done, uh, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I appreciate that very, very much. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what analysis do you bring? So I'm going to expand a little bit on uh, Dalton's civil, civil disobedience analysis um, and talk more about kind of the nature of government and interactions of government with bureaucracy. How we rail against the bureaucracy when it is fucking us over. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, Dalton hit on some really key points and some things that have been kind of distressing in terms of the current political climate is the fact that we have always since about 2000 um, our discussions about our approval of what our government is doing have steadily declined um, around the mid 2000s we were polling about 60 percent um, but according to Pew Research uh, from 2015 we're polling about 19 percent that there is a lack of trust in government so we kind of need to change the way we discuss not just government, but how markets interact with government. Because I think Dalton hit on some really key points in there in that you need, you 
do need some somewhat of a private sector because they kind of act as its own check to the public sector. As much as I, in my core, want to live in a socialist utopia where we don't need money, we don't need commodity, and we don't need these things, markets are like fingers. They're dexterous. They're nimble. They can do things fast, and they can move at lightning speed to to you know, sometimes disastrous effects, right? But governments, governments are like thumbs. They're not very dexterous. Uh, They're powerful. They're gripping. They're thrusting. And that's about all they can do. Um, (laughs) I'm fucking loving this. Right. This is, uh, I wish I could claim this is my own. This is, uh, I just recently attended a policy summit and this was from our keynote speaker. Um, So, but to have an efficient hand, you need, fingers and thumbs they act as one whole unit together and we we've stopped using government effectively because government it continues to be hamstrung by private interests and like in this movie we see the private interests being so private that it's a group of individuals that desire to sorry i just snipped in the middle of that it's we get back to our private interest in a way that it's like, it's so private that they are a group of individuals that want to bankrupt a bunch of pensions. And then they're trying to cover their tracks. It's, I mean, it's very, very small in terms of individual interests, but yes, I mean, this system that is designed for, for the betterment of society, even if it doesn't attain it a lot of the time is, is strung by the fact that, People have a vested interest in their putting their thumb on the scale to tip it and to tip it in their favor. And that's one thing that's really interesting. If you look back to the way that post-war business leaders discussed government and discussed industry, um, they really had a different point of view as to what the purpose of government and what the purpose of business was. You know, there's a lot of, you know, let's get to work kind of initiatives, which it, it was less about the self and more about the other. And it's not saying that, you know, post-war business leaders were perfect or anything. No, nah, because they were fucking assholes too. Right, right. But right time, right place. Right, exactly. So in in terms of this film, I the thing that just kind of blows me away is the sad similarity of Samuel Jackson in this moment to the Bundy brothers in Oregon with the wildlife refuge uh, that happened in our, our reality, essentially Mm -hmm. a bunch of um, kind of white rural Americans decide to take over a wildlife refuge, a federal wildlife refuge um, in Oregon. And uh, it's like an armed hostile hostage negotiation um, thing. And this is what occurs whenever you have a government that is hamstrung by private interests and that is unable to respond to the cries of the populace. So the cries of the populace become more and more desperate until violence is taken against these, these forces for right reasons. I mean, if you can call them right, I, I, Samuel Jackson, I'm not going to rubber stamp the activities that he performs in this movie. Well, that's the really interesting thing is uh, at the end of this movie, it's like, yeah, he was, had his name cleared as murder. That dude still took a government building hostage. Yeah, this I'm pretty sh- that sure dude's going I, to jail. I'm pretty sure he still goes to jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, and and that's the thing is like he is definitely going to have to face face the music on the the legal system. And the Bundy brothers, once they got him out of that building, they kind of faced the music, but they were acquitted, probably because they're white. But you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> if I had well, to guess, and, and again, it's 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 interesting because you know. 
you, obviously, listener, as you've been listening to this, we, we are skewing fairly left in our ideas and our thinking, but people on all sides of the spectrum feel the same way about bureaucracy, about the way that the systems um, oppress and belittle common people. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, exactly. it's a common feeling on all sides of the spectrum. And that's one thing that I think is really important as our culture can become really divisive is to remember that... Um, I always go back to the SNL sketch of uh, Black Jeopardy because, you know, we have Tom Hanks, who's this white dude on Black Mm -hmm. Jeopardy. And then they kind of realize that due to their socioeconomic conditions, they have a lot more in common and their social conditions. They have a lot more in common than they thought. And, And that's the thing that we have to remember. Samuel L. Jackson, who is a cop, a middle middle class in Chicago, has a lot of similar frustrations that rule American white. Uh, rednecky type dudes in Oregon have. And and that's something that shows that as long as we don't have a proper mixed economy that has appropriate amounts of government intervention in business and appropriate amounts of the private sector, we're not going to ever achieve this kind of unity that comes together that doesn't feel like it needs to take this divisive you know, violent action in order to be heard. And, and I do know that there there's a lot of literature, and I'm not going to s- talk about it here, about the violence, uh, the tool of violence as a, a movement, uh, the tool of violence in protest, the p- tool of violence whenever you're challenging systems. And, and, and I know that can get awfully complex. So I just wanted to bring this to uh, the forefront of the discussion. I think it's this movie, despite seemingly vaguely not relevant, I, I was able to take all of my notes from this policy conference and uh, rewrite them and do my analysis with it. Um, if you want to read more about um, this concept of American amnesia and the lack of uh, mixed economy initiatives, um, go check out the book by uh, Jacob S. Hacker and Paul Pearson, which is American Amnesia, How the War on Government Led Us to Forget What Made America Prosper. In summation for Alex and I, in the words of the real Reverend Doctor, a riot is the language of the unheard. Yes, indeed. Well done. Well done, indeed, sir. Uh, The myth of redemptive violence is something I do want to touch on for my analysis, uh, because this film is, uh, in ways, it supports, it it entirely supports that standard mythology, that violence is a necessary uh, tool to be used, um, to be given to people with power. They have to be qualified. I mean, it definitely goes with the the good and the great who have that sort of power, and they're able to use it, uh, you know, and again, distribute uh, their violence with a certain efficiency and a certain level of justice, but that violence itself is a necessary way in which you control people and you um, bring about justice. Well, and this is a really interesting film to talk about it with because Samuel L. Jackson does not kill anyone in this movie. There is literally one death, two deaths in this film. Um, his partner, who spurs the action of the film, and then, um, oh God, I forgot, T.J. Uh, Walsh's character. Yeah. Um, those are the only characters that die in this film. 
So this is really, usually when we're talking about redemptive violence, when we're talking about uh, violence in cinema, we are talking about movies with a lot of death. Right. There is no death in this film, but there is a lot of violence. There's very little death in this film, but there is a lot of violence. Well, there, there's sort of a, um, to, to use a comic book title, there is a sort of a history of violence with uh, Jackson's character. Um, unlike Kevin Spacey's negotiator, who has peacefully negotiated every single one of his um, situations over the last five years, Jackson has successfully negotiated, and he's successful because he does go ahead and allow the use of violence uh, in order uh, to you know get the guy shot or put him put him on his back. Right? In, in the one, yeah, in the one negotiation because he doesn't talk a lot about it, his record, but right. we we know that he is willing to go in mm-hmm. and and put somebody on their back, right. And uh, make some use of violence. And Spacey's character is um, definitely depicted as something, um, something of, of a penny waste. Uh, he is he is something of a uh, he is easy he has strange sweater. He he's, spends half the movie in ski pants. In ski pants. He's negotiating an argument between his daughter and his wife. I'm not. I, I don't want to do this to the door. Please hang up the phone. It's a really great scene. And but it's he, he's sort of um, ineffectual. Like he's just going to wear you down with his words. And what happens in that moment is he is actually unsuccessful. Um, uh, despite the fact that he has a 100% success record and it's been 100% peaceful, we never see this sort of stuff go on at all. Jackson, though, knows that he needs to take you know um, matters into his own hands, declare his uh, declare his name, and he makes use of violence. He doesn't kill anyone, mm-hmm. but he is absolutely. Take, making use of violence. He is violently taking control of that floor. He is throwing flashbang grenades. He is using gunfire, you know, sometimes retaliatory, sometimes initial. Um, sometimes he's, uh, he's, he's, he's uh, putting on the illusion of violence. Mm-hmm. But knowing that He this, sets the fucking room on fire. Yeah, he yeah, burns the room down. He pretends to kill um, Schrader yeah, from, uh, from Schrader. Breaking Bad, <laughs> which is great. Um, I always think of him as the uh, Tony from uh, Total Recall. Yeah. But yes, yeah, Schrader. Uh, so he you know, he does all this sort of stuff. Um, Officer Baldy, I believe, is the nickname that they give him. At Schrader Brown. <laughs> um, so he does all of these sort of things that are absolutely violent in their intention. Mm-hmm. And again, Spacey has got this record of there's never been any death, there's never been any use of violence at all. Somebody dies, and he's like just furious because it's like a fail yeah. on his level, and that 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 changes the game for him. He becomes well, he he becomes to an extent useless uh, to the plot for a little while until he goes ahead and begins to deal again because he has chosen to say, "I'm not going to speak to you. I'm not going to help you anymore because you killed somebody." Uh, he, he's not going to play any longer, and he he sort of. Uh, for a moment there until he gets back on track. Well, it seems like he's playing by not playing. Right. Yeah, a, a little bit, a little bit. But the, the point I want to get to is the concluding scene where uh, Jackson allows violence upon himself, and so Kevin Spacey decides he's going to faux shoot you know, Sam Jackson, right? I mean, um, he definitely shoots him. Yeah, well, okay, well, not... Shoot more, not to kill. Shoot not to kill, right. Mm-hmm. Gotta be blood, but you don't have to die. And, uh, did, again, wounded in the side like Christ, taking on the sins of the world. But nonetheless, don't get me started. Um, where it seems like that at a moment. And uh, then they have the Die Hard ending. Uh, it, with... Instead of it's the you know the German guy with the long blonde hair coming out with the machine gun, it's Frost trying to kill himself, and Spacey finally lifts his gun in violence and shoots this fellow. But all of this is framed. No, by it's uh, David Morris that does it actually. 
was I thought it was It was David Morris. Yeah. I thought it was Spacey for no, some reason. No, it's David Morris comes out of nowhere and redeems I think, himself. Well, he lifts his gun to go for it okay. and then he comes in and it's and it's just like that moment with the cop at the end of Die okay. Hard where it's like, yeah. "Oh, shit." But it's yeah, very similar. The guy though, that yes. never draws his gun, but okay, so yeah. nonetheless, this yeah. guy's being redeemed now. The guy who can't wait to draw his gun right. is redeemed in his desire to do so. Right. Okay. Well, there you go. And again, stops this moment again and brings about uh not 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 killing, but this is all framed by two moments with Jackson. Mm -hmm. The first negotiation, after it is concluded, he has the shotgun that belongs to the jilted lover, and he has got it pointed at the guy's head, and he is resisting all that he can to not go ahead and blow this guy's brains out in that moment. And at the end of the film, he has got all this violence under the surface of his skin, mm -hmm. again, for, for, for obvious reasons for what's going on. He's had a rough day. He's, he's had a, yeah, he's had a really bad, horrible day. Um, and so, yes, I understand why he wants to kill Frost, but all that time, uh, it is about making sure that you are violent and able to keep your violence in check so that you can, again, efficiently distribute violence to take out bad people. That movie reinforces that most basic of concepts in which it makes the use of violence, the extreme use of force, uh, retaliatory attacks, and if we're talking military, we're talking about uh, use of force in order to... Uh, you know, quell protests if we're talking about the police, um, whatever it is that we're happening to say at a moment, um, that that is a thing that has to be there and it continues the hegemony of the inevitability of that kind of system. And it holds our minds back from an imagination in which we might wonder that there might be another way to deal with our problems. There might be another way to deal with things. And I don't want to have an entire conversation about the virtues of pacifism versus the virtues of just war theories and those sort of things at this point. But I simply want to say is that this film reinforces a an assumption that there's no way out of a use of force. There's no way out of violence. And the only way that Sam Jackson is going to be able to prove his innocence is by using violence. And the only way that Kevin Spacey can be effective is by using violence. And the only way that you can really be the best hero you can be is a is to be an extraordinarily violent person, raging, seething under the surface, and then to just restrain that violence to only use it in efficient and uh, I guess just and wonderful times or wonderful or you know appropriate times. I guess is what I would say. Um, and no, I just want to say. No. I want to say no to action movies at this point. I love action movies. They're all so much fun. But I just want to say no. And these movies do reinforce that continuing idea. And um, it's not okay. 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 We'll talk more off air. No. Do you disagree heartily? What if I want to punch Richard Spencer? What if you want to punch Richard Spencer? I don't know if that helps. You do you, boo. Yeah, I don't know that it doesn't help, though. I don't know that breaking windows doesn't help. I don't know that setting shit on fire doesn't help. Well, okay, I mean, again, uses of violence, again, I don't want to get the debate of no violence versus all the violence. I'm yeah. just saying that, I'm talking about the inevitability. Gotcha, like, okay. Like you have to. Okay. That the only way that we're going to have change is by we got to hurt some people. Okay, that's fair. And tear some things up. Okay. And I'm like, you know what, there are other ways, and we have a captive imagination. I can get behind that, okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and then the captivity of that imagination, especially in a, in a larger society, when it's being um, uh, mediated through mass culture, and it's talking about our social institutions and structures mm -hmm. like the police uh, or like government, it says that the, these people have to be able to do this. They okay. have to be able to act this way, and this is the only way that we can really sort of move forward. Our cops have got to have guns, despite the fact that there are nations who have cops who don't have guns. I'm just saying. Okay. All right, man. Yeah, yeah. So, right. 
I think leave that bit of extra conversation in. That was good. Um, Don't tell me what to do. Okay, oh, shit. I love you. Do what you want. You do you, boo. All right, wrap us up, Dad. All righty, guys. Well, thank you very much for all of that analysis. I am so excited to hear what you have to say about the movie The Negotiator. Despite its ordinariness, it does provide some excellent fodder for the talking of the words one to another, which is why we do what we do here at this show. So we come to the point at which we must render a verdict about this particular film and shelf or trash and our else's or instead's accordingly. Dalton Stewart, shelf or trash, else or instead, go. Oh, I know you you went to me first because I was one of the more likely to shelf it, but I'm going to trash it. Um, it's totally disposable. Um, yeah, we, we brought it up a couple times throughout the evening. Go watch Die Hard instead. You know, fuck it. It's better. Um, there, and to pair with it, I actually don't want to recommend Die Hard. I want to, I want to recommend uh, a better F. Gary Gray film, and I want to recommend uh, some, some better uh, Sam Jackson, some better Kevin Spacey films. Um, for F. Gary Gray, you got to go to his most recent work, um, uh, Straight Outta Compton. As Arthur mentioned, his editor on this, or his editor on this film, I believe you said, uh, is now working on um, Fast 8. So is F. Gary Gray. He's the director of that film, uh, which is really cool. Um, but uh, his film, Straight Out of Compton, is really great. You don't need to watch the director's cut. It's a little overly long, um, but uh, it, it is extremely good. And has Paul Giamatti as well, which is fun. Um, of course. For um, Sam uh, I, himself, uh, I want to give a shout-out to a film that is... A little ideologically messy, but also one that I really did enjoy uh, that I just watched recently, and that is a film with him and Christina Ricci uh, from Craig Brewer called Black Snake Moan, which has a fucking banger of a soundtrack. I've uh, heard that movie's good. It It's interesting. Uh, I liked it a lot. It, it, it Again, it is a little messy, uh, but I think overall is a very, very strong film that uh, I, I really went for quite a bit. Um, if you want peak jackson you gotta go to uh, snakes on a plane um it is definitely actually worse than this movie and yet somehow way more fun um and it's it's peak sam uh you gotta go to that you, you gotta get rid of these uh monkey fighting uh monkey fighting snakes on this monday to friday plane um for uh, old k-space uh i think you gotta go to one of his favorite performances of mine and that is uh, k-pax k no of not course K-Pax. it is yeah k-space uh, and k-pax yeah no it's it's the the, the film <laughs> you motherfucker seven <laughs> from david fincher and i know he's not yeah. in that much of the movie but damn are his like four scenes so good i mean he is absolutely captivating i also want to recommend a film from around the same time period that is really kind of similar just in what it's going for and that is uh la confidential uh with him and um russell crowe and um uh, guy pierce um two aussies and an american walk into a bar and they shoot all the bad guys it's great it's um it's quite a film i i think it's wonderful um and it's i think one of the great action films of the late 90s i really do um what if i mean it, it literally is hey you know how great films like double indemnity and the maltese falcon are what if they had more shootouts? The answer is they get better. I'm sorry, they do. I think uh, film, films noir could use more uh, another shootout or two. That's just my opinion. Uh, and finally, I want to recommend, again, I think another middleweight basic cable favorite that features both Sam Jackson and Kevin Spacey, and that is the film A Time to Kill. Yes, they deserve to die, uh, yeah. and I hope they burn in hell. Excellent. I like that selection very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what do you say? Shovel trash, else or instead? I'm going to say soft trash. Uh, it, it's pretty disposable. Uh, you know, this is a movie, if there's absolutely nothing going on and you've seen everything else that's already on, then, you know, watch it, but definitely don't go out of your way to pay exactly. for this movie. Yeah, exactly. Um, da, 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 da. Instead, else, however you want to look at that, I am going to say Die Hard, as mentioned. I'm also going to mention The Fugitive, because 
I love it. And I'm also going to say... It's a much better wrong man movie. It is. And I'm also going to say John Q, starring uh, Denzel, playing Denzel as a father who wants what's best for his son. I haven't seen that movie in a really long time, but I remember it being okay. I just like Denzel. He's great. It's a social issue picture. It's where Denzel takes a bunch of people hostage. Yeah, Yeah. and I'm I'm kind of unsympathetic to those in general as films, but it's, it's effective. Yeah. And those are my picks. All right, thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, show for Trash Elser instead. I'm going to trash this movie. This is, It was very apparent that this movie has no purpose to watch again. <laughs> so I had no desire there. Um, I will give um, my else's two. Um, the Usual Suspects, one of my favorite Kevin Spacey movies. It's just a romp and good time. I do enjoy it, it quite is, a lot. It is quite fun. Yes. Um, and then I'm also going to give it to, um, I don't know, because you want more Dean Norris, who's just an adjacent cast member in this. You could just go and watch Breaking Bad, all of it. See prime time Hank, basically. You get to see <laughs> Ace Actuator be just the minerals marie god damn it you know so yeah um my name's asex trader and you can go fuck yourself that's exactly right oh man now i really want to watch breaking bad i've been wanting to rewatch it for a while we should do that i haven't checked back in on it since it it wrapped up i hope it holds up i've heard it it's even better when you can just watch it in one go it really it just plays that much better oh that makes me very happy inside anyway those are my um else's instead of watching this movie which is uh no reason to ever watch again. All right, Dad, take us on home into the station. Hard trash, guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's fun. It is, and it, it, I mean, don't turn it off. If I it think that's on. where we're all at on this. It's like, don't you don't need to seek out the I negotiator. I had to pay this for to see this. Yeah. Yeah, we we all I. we all paid money to watch this. It, 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 was, it was like three dollars, which is not the end of the world, but it's just like <laughs> I could have bought oh, a very pass. cheap cup of coffee I, with that. I still haven't watched. <laughs> Everybody wants some, like. Come on, three bucks in cinema. Habit. I've had a, I can't. Complain. I've had a, I've had a DVD of Bamboozled on my like my I entertainment just, stand for like a month. Now. I have a stack of Criterion's I borrowed from my buddy Laron, and I was like, man, I could be watching any of these movies right now, and I didn't. Yeah. It's okay. So you're. you're I, I don't feel the anger about having watched it, but uh, I'm angry. Um, in terms of the myth of redemptive violence, and considering other ways out in an action film. I recommend Seven Psychopaths. Very yeah. good, very good pick. So that would be uh, my selection there, dear listener. Do you have to watch Shane with this? No. Instead of this? Instead of this? Uh, yeah, yeah. Watch Shane. Why not? I like Shane. Yeah, and another movie going on. Your, my favorite western. Just, just riffing on you, Dad. Um, one another movie that kind of gets at that myth of redemptive violence from very recently is Doctor Strange. That finale, I, was I just mean, thinking about yeah. that. thwarts I, it completely. I was actually going to say that, but then it does totally with it and uh, by subjecting people to torture for eons. So mm, it, it simultaneously very, subverts it yeah. and whips it. But yeah. That's comic books for you kids. Yeah. Comic books. They do a thing. But there you go, dear listener, because see the conversation that we're having, it just keep, wants to keep happening. We just we, we can't stop because talking about movies is fun. That's why we podcast it. And that's why we invite you to be part of the conversation. Please join in on those means of social media that we've already discussed. Enjoy your 90 minutes. Enjoy your bucket of popcorn. But enjoy some conversation with other people. Um, now, before we let you go, though, we need to talk about next week's film. You have a host pick, Dad. I do have a host pick. Oh, boy. Here we go. We're gonna watch. Um, we're gonna watch a film about you know somebody in a gang, a girl. A what in a gang? Oh, a gang. 
Yeah. I thought you said a game. Not, I was confused. Not quite all into um, drugs and violence, but a little bit of drugs, a little bit of violence. And it's a girl growing up and just trying to find out who she is. And it's one of my favorite films from a couple years ago. So we're going to take a look at uh, Selena Scala's uh, Girlhood. Oh, fuck yes, Dad. Yeah, you're really breaking the rules, aren't you? Good job. It's his host pick. Who yeah, no, no, I know. I love that he's doing I it. I can do what I want. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. Thank you. That's been on my watch list for, for freaking ever. So Yeah, I heard it's really good. I'm glad I'm going to get an excuse to watch it now. Yes. Yay. And Thank that is you. available on the Netflix. It is on the flicks. God bless. So um, there you go. Hey, guys, you keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.